0: Mr. Olynchik's blocking the exits, George Hook has a gun to my head. Hello everyone, I'm Ronan McAuliffe and I'm back for another season of Radio Praise. This is a podcast produced entirely by TY students in Presentation Brothers College, Cork. On today's episode we have some phenomenal pieces, we have the great Manchester rivalry. Our fabulous golf correspondent Ryan Lines will be giving us an interview with the captain of Blarney Golf Club, ASMR and also living with diabetes, along with a phenomenal interview into the workings of the Share charity in Cork, as well as Michelle Power, the organiser of the Quirkus Talented Students Programme within UCC. She'll be giving us the ins and outs of everything that they do to support high-performance athletes in UCC. Stick around, all that coming up on this episode of Radio Prez. Ollie in, Ollie out. Is it blue, is it red? To kickstart our show, we have a piece about the great Manchester rivalry with Hugh and Seb.
1: Well Hugh, all is fun for unemployment, and we're still dominating. You're in a mid-table battle with Burnley while we're going back-to-back.
2: Uh, Seb, everyone has a slow start. Just wait till the Uruguayan hitman Edison Cavani comes back, then you're in trouble.
1: You have a slow start every year though. We won't the league last year, and we're cruising to another back-to-back.
2: Uh, you barely clutched last year, thanks to Abu Dhabi. You're like the CBC of the Premier League.
1: You're acting like the Glazers don't spend 200 million Great British Pounds every year in new signings.
2: Uh, From CR7 shirt sales Not kegs of oil
1: Here I hate to break it to you But your American owners don't even know the offside rule Uh,
2: Your owners can't even speak English And your team has no legends
1: What legends do you have, Fred?
2: Cantona, Rooney, the legend Roy Keane
1: Alright, I I beg to differ But you might have better legends But you're deluded, stop living in the past Our team is miles better right now Kevin De Bruyne is undoubtedly the best player in the Premier League
2: (laughs) Um, Are you okay? Do you know Ronaldo plays in the Premier League?
1: That perfume fraud. One player doesn't make a team. This current Man City team might be the greatest team of all time. You have to be joking.
2: They don't even have the go Premier League keeper David Gea.
1: That man-bun a munching fraud. He can't even score, never mind save penalties. Ederson is miles clear of him.
2: Ederson? He's not even the best Brazilian keeper in a Prem.
1: I guess we'll have to agree to disagree. But We can both agree on it. the brick wall himself, Ruben Diaz, being the best centre-back <laughs> in Manchester.
2: Are you okay? And some of Man City's oil got into your drink. You're forgetting the Champions League king, Rafa Varane. Messi moved to a Farmers League for Barcelona to get away from him.
1: Did I hear that right? Champions League king? You don't remember when De Bruyne destroyed Varane in his own backyard in Madrid just a few years ago?
2: Should we all make mistakes? Speaking of French ballers though, Paul Pogba. KDB isn't worthy to lace Pogba's boots. Oh, don't get me started on Pogba. He spends more time in the Barbers than on the pitch. Uh... You're only saying that because your idol KDB gets a four in the back and sides every time. Anyway, I said the best for last. The best player to ever grace the beautiful game. A game from rags to riches. From zero to hero. And his name is... Raheem Sterling, come on. Raheem Sterling? He should have replaced Tom Daly in the Olympics. Ronaldo is the world's top goal scorer. Sterling has more Gillette commercials than goals.
1: Yeah, well, I'll give you that one. Man United made the better individual players and talent. Man City will always be better as a team.
2: Uh, individuals like Ronaldo will win you trophies, though.
1: What trophies? It's been more than four years since you lost one-something. You're turning into
2: Tottenham. Uh, I'd rather be on a dry street than have no Champions Leagues. That was a fluke. It was rigged by the government. We'll be back next year easy. No, you won't. If your oil runs out, you'll never be back. Elon Musk and his Model Xs are killing our club. Elon Musk killing our club? He needs to focus on his divorce papers and smoking tank. Elon Musk has more kids than Man City season ticket holders. That's disgraceful,
1: but I've had enough of this. You know what? Man United might be the greater club right now. But come back to this in 20 years and Man City will be better.
2: You're deluded, but I admire your blind faith. You're probably supporting the cast in a few years, though.
1: That's a Manchester Derby from me, Seb. <laughs> and me, Hugh.
0: Thank you guys for that. Next up on Radio Press, we have Joe Hayes, who's going to be giving us an insight into what it's like to live with diabetes.
3: My name's Joe Hayes. And today I'll be talking about the impact that diabetes has on my life. I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes in 2011. And because I was so young, I wasn't quite aware of the impact it would have on my life. I began to understand the scale of the situation after being told I would have to stay in hospital for a couple of nights. Personally, I feel my timing of being diagnosed was lucky, as my brother was also diagnosed two years before me. So not only have I had help from the hospital and my parents, my brother can also give me advice from time to time. Even to this day, he still helps me. My diabetes takes up the majority of my day-to-day life, from checking my blood sugars hourly, giving myself insulin when needed, or maintaining a good blood sugar level. Over the years, I've gotten better at keeping on top of these things, but now and again, I can let it slip and it can take a toll on my overall well-being. My diabetes can cause me a lot of anxiety and stress. I've noticed over the years that I tend to do better at keeping on top of my diabetes when I'm off school, but when the term comes back around... I feel I don't have enough time to dedicate my time to my diabetes. This leads to a bad cycle of blood sugars and me just not feeling well in general. A day in school with diabetes can be very tough. Having to remember to give myself insulin for food or bringing my blood sugar levels down to a reasonable level can cause me a lot of stress on top of other things in life. With sports, my diabetes can be a serious problem. If my bloods ever go low, I pretty much have to stop playing for at least 20 minutes. If I'm playing a match at club level and my bloods go low, not only do I have to go off for 20 minutes, i likely miss the rest of the half or even the match depending on how low my bloods go. With that, if I'm ever starting a match, not only do I worry about the result, I also have that thing in the back of my head making me worry if I'll have to go off abruptly, which makes me feel I'm leaving down the team. Nowadays, technology has made living with diabetes a lot easier. Insulin pumps and blood sugar sensors have eliminated long processes for everyday tests. With my pump, it has made having food or correcting a high blood sugar very easy. It's as easy as pressing a few buttons and I'm done. I feel a lot more free with the pump because when I was doing insulin injections, I did it three times a day, which made eating during the day very strict. With the blood sugar sensor, it has eliminated the finicky process of pricking my finger and putting blood on a test strip. Over the years, this has taken a toll on my fingers, but now that I don't prick my fingers as much, they've healed quite a bit. Checking my bloods has become a lot easier now thanks to technology. My name's Joe Hayes, and thanks for listening to my piece on diabetes.
0: Next up, I'll be joined by a few representatives of the Cork charity Share. Hello, this is Radio Prez. I'm Ronan McAuliffe, and I'm here with Eva, Ashling, and Luke, who are all re- representatives of the Share executive. And we're going to be having a talk about Share. If you don't know what share does, share is a charity that was set up in 1970 in Cork to help elderly people that were homeless. Every year, you see the yellow jackets that students wear as they go out in all weather on the streets of Cork collecting. And um, these three students are representatives from the share executive for this year. So Ashling, how did you get into share? Why did you um, apply to be on the executive?
4: Um, well, I did a collecting last year with my school, and I just thought it was like a really nice way to like see all the work you do firsthand, like put back into the community. Okay,
0: and as for you, Ava, would it be similar?
4: Yeah, it was the same thing with me. We actually signed up on the same day,
5: so we experienced the same things.
0: Okay, obviously people see share on the streets, right? Um, they see people going out collecting. They see the people out there, rain, hail, and snow. Aside from the collection, what else do you do in share?
5: We do share meetings at least once a week and we do visitations. So we visit different share complexes and we help around with just the people that live there and try and make their lives a bit more easy and more fun.
0: Just for the listeners that might know exactly what you do with the visitations. Can you just give us a brief kind of rundown of what happens there?
5: Well anything that the people that live there need we try and tend to. Like for last week just as an example we did gardening and we did weeding um, just for one of the people just that really wanted it done.
0: Well that's incredible and like what do you do to raise awareness, Luke, um, for the old people and like for the loneliness and the isolation that they face?
6: Well, especially through uh, COVID recently in the last, you know, two years and stuff like that, uh, the idea was was a really good idea of Yellow Day, which is a day where schools all across Cork who want to be a part of Share, who may not be able to, you know, do the collection but still want to be as part of Share, is doing Yellow Day where you wear yellow on the date that is November 26th, which is tomorrow, next week. And you wear yellow in support of awareness, because yellow is a strong colour which represents share. It's in the bibs we wear, the jackets on the streets, it's part of the share logo. And the slogan this year, say hello to some you know, is a slogan that helps represent that what share is, is that share is about people and people matter. So, as a man from myself who are, who's from rural Ireland, I understand say hello to someone, you know, because walking down the street you bump into someone, you say hello, how are you? And it's just that that slogan is a good representation of if you see someone when you're walking, you bump into them, you said hi, how are you? Giving them the time just to talk to them because everyone matters. So it's a good representation, and that's what Yellow Day is. And in some schools, I know you can't wear yellow. Maybe you're not loud, but wearing a share badge even if you're not allowed wear the share badge there's a tiny piece of yellow ribbon tied to your bag is just as strong as wearing yellow
0: that's absolutely phenomenal and I can imagine that something even as simple as just talking to your neighbor about it you know like just even asking hello how are you do you need anything can be really important so especially over the pandemic what sort of issues did old people face um, and how are you helping them at the moment?
4: Um, Well, I know Percy was like my own granny, like I had to do her shopping and stuff and like they often feel really vulnerable. So I think like, especially the visitations, like it helps them feel like seen and kind of like people want to see them and like get to know them and like let them know that people are there to care for them.
0: So just, just a bit of human to human interaction, really. Yeah. Like... How how important is that? Does does it is is it really really beneficial? Are you kind of when you do your visitations, are you seeing the benefits of that?
6: The complex I go to, there's a woman, her name is Ethna, and she's always there every Wednesday, first ready to come. She's always sitting down waiting for us and we all I always have a great chat with her about anything about English literature, film, music and stuff like that. And I, I she always makes me laugh and I always make her laugh and I always think that we have a good conversation in that time frame of us talking to her. And yesterday she needed help to move plants and stuff like that, which uh, a girl from Mount Mercy and a guy, another guy from Prez who's on the share committee helped her move those plants. And it was really good because she was happy because she wasn't able to move them because her visitor wasn't, didn't, you know, the person she was usually seeing every week didn't show up. But this week we were there and she was happy with that and we had a great conversation and we were playing. We started playing 45 and she loved it because it's getting fierce competitive. <laughs> How did you find getting started in share? you know,
0: going into the whole setup? Was there things that you didn't expect and things that, like, was it a bit of a shock? How did you find kind of getting into it?
5: Um, well, I know just from my own personal experience, like, just as we joined, I was a bit scared because I wasn't sure exactly what I was preparing preparing for and what was going to happen but kind of just seeing everyone that's your own age being there and realizing that the people that are there genuinely want to be an impact kind of makes you settle in and you feel more welcome and just like doing the things that we do like going to visitations or just having the meetings in general and getting ready for the shared collections it generally makes you feel more like more like a person in society like you are helping something and you're seeing the impact firsthand and it's really vital for the community in Cork City and I just know for myself it helped me settle in to people my own age.
0: So how are you guys feeling ahead of the collection like you know this is the you know that's, that's kind of the the pinnacle of everything you do and share it's that 10 day collection how are you like how are you coping with um getting that organized how, how are you coping with
6: the fact that it may be shut down
0: midway through?
6: I'm looking forward to it because last year the collection for me I thought was pretty cool because uh, it's not only about as I said earlier about awareness but it's kind of it's kind of nostalgic for people to see every Christmas share up in the streets the yellow jackets, the yellow bibs people collecting for money is, is a part of Cork as Christmases in Cork City it might get shut down I still think that share even if we aren't able to collect or whatever happens the case may be that nostalgic feeling will always be there
0: like now can I just go back to the whole of you know you guys raising awareness and all of that so Ashling and Ava you're both in Skullvara so what are you guys doing for Yellow Day in your school for example?
4: Yeah we're having Yellow Day on Thursday the 25th because it's not able to happen on the 26th but um, we're all gonna go around myself and Ava and collect the money and we're gonna have an announcement next week and we just want to make it like known that like this is a big deal for like the charity and stuff and like everyone's willing to like get organized and like the vice principal was really happy that like we can have something in the school like this. So
5: and I feel like share just kind of brings that little bit of normality back into life that we haven't really had in like 2 years. And um I just feel like when we're going around share is just one of those charities that like it means a lot to people in Cork. Like for some people, when share comes out and you see those people outside pennies in the freezing cold and it's raining and like you just know Christmas is coming. So like, as you said, Luke, it's very nostalgic for people and people will always contribute to that. Yeah, I just feel like when we're going around, I know everyone's going to give us a little bit of help and try and be that impact because it means so much to people.
0: Guys, I wish you the best of luck with uh, with all your fundraising, with all like the raising awareness throughout Yellow Day, and you know putting up all the posters, doing all of that, and um, and also being out in rain, hail, and snow during the collection um, <laughs> for for ten days. But um, I would agree that it's something that's hugely nostalgic. That kind of Christmas starts in Cork when Cher hits the street, and that it's something that's absolutely phenomenal to do. Thank you, guys, so much. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> Next up, we have Ryan Lines, who will be giving us an interview with the captain of Blarney Golf Club.
7: Hello and welcome to Radio Prez Podcast. This is Ryan Lines, and I am the golf correspondent of the show. And over the coming months, I will be bringing you news, views, and interviews from the world of golf. Have you ever wondered what the captain of a golf club does? Well, one such person is with me now. Dan, please introduce yourself to the listeners.
8: Yeah, my name is Dan O'Shea and I'm currently the captain of Blarney Golf Club for the year 2021.
7: Tell me about your golfing career, your handicap, how long have you been playing and does it take up a lot of time?
8: I'm playing golf for 30 years. I'm a taxi driver, so I suppose that gives me a fair bit of time off, particularly during the day because I do most of my work at night. So it means I can play a lot of golf. Um, I'm a 10 handicap and uh I do it really for the social part of it, but I suppose um uh I like the golfers when I like to get my handicap down, and I like to play in the um competitions on a Saturday and Sunday.
7: What attracted you to the job of the captain? It seems like a difficult job.
8: I suppose I wanted to give back a bit to the club. I've been a member here now for um ten years, and uh I know sometimes the club finds it hard to get people into official roles and um at the time they were um finding it difficult and um a number of people had asked me and i kind of didn't really want to get involved because i knew it would take a lot of time but i said look um you know the club needs needs people and it needs people to offer up their time and uh, that's why i did it
7: what are your responsibilities of being captain are you the ceo of the golf club
8: you know all the golfers kind of um particularly the people who are playing they're really interested in the competition so i got to make sure that they're kind of run right and they're um support right and the scores go in properly. But there's plenty of people around to to help with that. Um, A big part of it would be representing the club at events. So if we're playing um, other teams or if there are societies out here or on um, President's Day or uh, those type of big events, um, obviously I'd need to be around, you know, and we always say a few words after these events because that's what people expect. And I'd be there for that. I'm also on the committee um, and that's really important because that's where we discuss the course and social events and the members and the membership and I have the casting a vote on the committee so that's really important. I like to get out there as well and support all the teams so um, you know we, we are in the Pierce Purcell and we're in the Fred Daly and the Juvenile and a number of different events and um, I like to be out there to show my support and really I lead by example as best I can. And it's important to be there for the members i mean there's always people who coming up to you and they're asking you about the golf course and asking you to change things and asking you can you influence so it's important to be there for them um when they need you how is this year going so
7: far both on and off the golf course what has been the impact of covid on the golf club
8: i suppose it's uh it's it's going well um we've had a good year you know the uh, we came out of the whole covid crisis which means that um you know we were able to get back out playing fully and um We were able to have a couple of events towards the end of the year. We're a very social club, so we used to have fantastic nights during the summer with barbecues and mixed foursomes and that type of stuff. But that all stopped during COVID, and we managed to get it back at the end of the year. And um, hopefully we'll get it back next year again. So we've had a good year, not a great year with the competitions and the teams. We didn't really win anything, and we didn't really get that far into many of them. But, uh, you know, the hope would be that that will improve uh, next year. But, uh, you know, in spite of everything, I think we did really well.
7: Finally, Captain, given your experience of the job, are there any changes you would like to see implemented in the golf club?
8: I think I'd like to get more juveniles playing. Um, We have a very good juvenile captain at the moment. Um, Ryan Lyons is his name, and he's been really good with the younger members, and particularly, you know, the age category between, let's say, 6 and 10. And um, himself and Tom have been really um, working really hard to make sure that they stay involved. But I'd like to have more juvenile members because... um, you know to be competitive at juvenile members at, at that level you need to have um you need to have a certain number of players playing and the reality is we just don't have enough playing at the minute so we're going to introduce some new incentives for people to come in next year um, and uh, make it more attractive for uh, younger members to join the club so um that'd be the one thing I'd, um, I'd like to get a hold of and to, uh, and to make better.
7: Thank you for joining me on Radio Prez and I wish you well in the future. Blarney Golf Club has been very lucky to have you as the captain. Well, that was the first of our golfing segments and I hope you will join me again, Ryan Lyons, for more from the wonderful world of golf. All over social media, all over
0: YouTube, it's trending on TikTok, trending on Instagram, we hear about it all the time. We have Hugh McCarthy on ASMR.
2: Have you ever gotten a ticklish tingle down your spine? Have you ever shuddered or convulsed for no logical reason? Have you ever felt a great satisfaction over something odd or minute? If you have answered yes to any of these questions, then you have most likely been a victim of a strange phenomenon, which is known as ASMR. This unique concept has been skyrocketing in popularity in the last half decade, with videos of it receiving millions of views monthly. We teenagers seem to be fascinated with it, and I now know why. What is ASMR? ASMR is the term for the sensation people get when they watch stimulating videos or take part in other activities, usually ones that involve personal attention. Many people describe the feeling as tingles that run through the back of someone's neck and spine. Other people say the feeling is deeply relaxing, almost melodic even, and it can sometimes even cause them to fall asleep. Although the term ASMR may sound very sciencey, there's actually no good science or research behind the phenomenon. The term is to believe to have been thought of by Jennifer Allen in 2010, who started a Facebook group dedicated to finding out more about the subject. The term quickly caught on as people finally had a way to reference the pleasurable feeling they had been enjoying. So how does ASMR work? How ASMR works varies largely from person to person. Some, perhaps the majority of, people don't get it at all. And the science in ASMR is basically non-existent. So our understanding of it is so far based on untrustworthy sources from around the internet. People get the feeling of ASMR from various triggers. Some people enjoy role-play, in which someone plays with a microphone by tapping and brushing it, and whispering various random sentences and words. While others like videos that show incredibly mundane tasks, such as spraying a water bottle, Stirring a bowl of soup Or even crinkling wrapping paper Others are triggered by more elaborate roleplays, Which can vary from someone acting like a doctor Shopping for food Or even gardening What are some examples of ASMR videos? There are literally millions of videos dedicated to ASMR But there are some consistent themes which seem to be the most popular Whispering People whispering into a microphone is very popular in the ASMR world. According to some websites, the whispering triggers a sense of relief, a calm over the listener. Personally, I've listened to these videos to see if what people were saying was true, and in my case, it didn't work. Then there's the tasks which are seemingly random, like cutting hairbrush bristles with a hot knife, to playing with slime which could be glow in the dark or something else totally crazy. So why do people watch ASMR videos? Why do people do anything on the internet really? Some people watch dog videos. Some people watch politicians yell at each other. Some people watch Fortnite YouTubers and professional Minecraft players. And some people watch videos of someone whispering and playing with slime to relax. Part of this shows perhaps the internet's greatest ability, its strength to bring people together in a way that was simply not possible before.
0: Sticking to the theme of technology, next up we have Owen Harrington who will be giving us a piece on the various difficulties within gaming.
9: Hi, my name is Owen Harrington, and today I will be talking about video game difficulty. The topic of video game difficulty has become a major talking point in more recent years. The topic was really brought to life with the release of the Dark Souls series and the other games released by Fun Software. Most of these games, even though they are some of the hardest games out there, are critically acclaimed and absolutely amazing games. Depending on the genre of game, you can usually tell how difficult the game would be. For example, most platformers are extremely simple and easy, whereas many roguelikes, which is a type of game where you explore dungeon after dungeon, are usually a lot harder than other games. The majority of casual players would prefer to play a much easier game, that they wouldn't have to spend hours on hours trying to get past one parrot, while more experienced players will have a much smaller problem with this concept. Many games at this point have multiple difficulty choices ranging from extremely easy to very very hard. Now many games will do this in so many different ways. One of my favourite examples is in Metal Gear Solid 5, where if you fail a mission enough times, you'll be offered a chance to play on an easier setting. But to humiliate the player, when playing on this setting, you have to wear a chicken hat on your head the entire time. Other games will make the names of the difficulties humiliating for the player. For example, the newer Doom and Wolfenstein games named their easier difficulties, I'm Too Young to Die, and Can I Play Daddy? So if you pick these difficulties and someone sees, there's a huge amount of embarrassment for you. Other games just call their easiest difficulties story or something to that effect. And in some cases, you can play the game with no difficulty at all. Now, one problem people have with Dark Souls and other from software games is that they only have one difficulty setting where one wrong move gets you completely killed. The best way to describe Dark Souls is as an action RPG, so non-gamers out there, a role-playing game, where you need to be very conscious of your enemies' attacks and movement. Many video game critics have complained about the difficulty in Dark Souls, even though they wouldn't complain about a game that is stupidly easy. These complaints make many people think that these games are bad, but they are enjoyed by people who like the chill and excitement that comes with finally beating a boss after hours of playing. On the other end of the spectrum, there are so many games that are incredibly easy. One of the easiest game series by fair is the Kirby series. These games were specifically made as a beginner's game. So when it comes down to it, they are fun games, but you won't get the same level of excitement after being a boss in it as you would from being a boss in a harder game. Kirby games are platformers and they are definitely the easiest platformers out there, but other game genres have their easier games, for example Pokemon and the Paper Mario or Mario & Luigi series of RPGs. Pokemon, as many will already know, is a game where you catch creatures and use them to fight other people. These games are usually marketed towards a younger audience, but many people who grew up playing the games still play them. This is where the difficulty problem lies, as the older you get, the easier it is to understand how to play games. Now the Paper Mario games and the Marion Luigi series of RPGs are a much different case. These games are almost made as an introductory RPG with much simpler controls and an emphasis on timing button presses to do more damage instead of strategy. Even when you get to game genres that are usually very hard, there are easier games in these genres. For example, for roguelikes, an easier game is entered the dungeon due to its much easier controls and concept. While the games might still be harder than previously mentioned games, they are still easier than other games in their respective genres. There's a type of difficulty that I haven't mentioned up to this point, which puts all other difficulties to shame. The difficulty is Permadeath. Permadeath means that if you die in the game, you lose all progress and have to waste out fully. One of the hardest examples I can think of in recent games is the Ultra Nightmare difficulty in Doom Eternal. Not only is it set to the hardest difficulty, but if you die once, you have to stare from the beginning of the game again. This type of difficulty setting is nowhere near impossible, but requires the player to know the game almost like using the back of their hand and one mistake will end on. The These difficulties are the ultimate challenge and beating a game on a difficulty like this one, is one of the ultimate achievements in a single player game. Org-like have a very similar system to permadeath. In org-like you explore dungeon after dungeon in hopes of getting to the end, but there are no checkpoints, so if you die on the last boss fight before the end, you're sent all the way back up to the start. Many org-like have a sort of level-up system in place where you collect certain items to buy upgrades to make it easier on the next one. So, in order look like like Hades, you also get to unlock different weapons that can change the way you approach different situations, but in the end it takes mastering the controls to truly get to the end. Video game difficulty has been around since the infancy of gaming in the arcades and many do not think it will leave soon. I personally have grown to love the challenge of harder games and will purposefully choose a harder difficulty because it can be more fun. For people who are new to gaming, I would recommend Kirby games or Pokemon games as they're easy, and very simple to understand. For people who enjoy a bit more of a challenge, I would recommend games in the Persona series, or platformers like Celeste. And for the most experienced of gamers who are looking for the ultimate challenge, I would recommend playing a game on its hardest difficulty, or obviously, David's old games. I'm Owen, and thanks for listening to my piece on gaming. <laughs>
0: Michelle Power is the coordinator of the Quercus Talented Students Programme within UCC. I caught up with Michelle to talk about this phenomenal programme. Hello, I'm Ronan McAuliffe and today I'm going to be interviewing Michelle Power, the manager of the Quercus Talented Student Programme from UCC. Hi Michelle, how are you? Hi Ronan, thanks for having me. No problem at all. Can can you tell us a bit about this programme that you run in UCC?
10: It's a programme that can reward talent across a number of areas. Um, Obviously, there's academic scholarships as part of it, but also creative and performing arts, high performance sport, active citizenship and innovation entrepreneurship. And I'm extremely proud, particularly of the last two strands, because we're the only university that I know of that offers a full university scholarship for active citizenship. So for young people who are making change and who are the voices of change and who are game changers, and innovation entrepreneurship, so young people who are running their own businesses, some not for profit, they're social enterprises, but others running very successful businesses as current undergraduate students um, and are are names to look out for in the future, often coming through the pipeline of the BT Young Scientist, but not exclusively. Creative and performing arts scholarships are, are, are more usual in the university setting, but ours is very broad. It's all of the performing arts We have uh, spoken word artists, we have classical musicians, traditional musicians, filmmakers, anybody um, involved in that space, and they're incredibly talented young people. And then high-performance sports scholarships. We give seven or eight high-performance sports scholarships every year. They are to incredible young people who have balanced their study and their sport while at school and wish to continue to do that at university. And we've had huge success, particularly in, in the sport of rowing. We had seven undergraduate Olympians at the Tokyo Games, which is the first time University College Cork has ever had undergraduate Olympians. And very proud that two of those brought home medals. One, Paulo Donovan, uh, brought home gold following his, his silver in Rio. And he's a four times world champion. He's a graduate entry medicine student. Um, he's an incredible athlete and an even better student. And Fintan McCarthy, who was in the boat with him, is a a recent UCC graduate and uh, now a current UCC postgraduate. So we're very proud of both of those. And equally as proud of Emily Hegarty, who's another Quercus scholar and who was in the Women's Heavyweight Four. And it was the first women's uh, rowing Olympic medal. And it also was the very first time Ireland got a medal for a female team sport. So. We had the largest number of student athletes at the Games, and we're incredibly proud of that, as well as uh, we had an, an amazing undergraduate student, Paralympian Mary Fitzgerald from Kilkenny, um, who came sixth in her very first Paralympics. Um, so really, really, um, that's the kind of calibre. In terms of Prez's relationship with the, the programme, um, I'm delighted there have been quite a number of Prez past pupils as Quercus scholars. Um, notably at the moment, Jack O'Sullivan, who has a Munster senior contract, an absolutely fantastic young man, um, an even better athlete and is about to graduate from finance in UCC this weekend uh, with an honours degree. So huge credit to him to have kept um, a professional rugby career and a full time um, life as a student. For a lot of people, one of those is enough. And I suppose I'm in the lovely position of being able to support and help students to manage that balance.
0: That's absolutely phenomenal. And like what's great Mm -hmm. is that there's young people that are in Cork that are being supported and, you know, people that are going through their school systems that are doing rugby, rowing, a whole host of other sports. Like... I know that you were talking about, for instance, the social enterprises, Mm -hmm. right? And you would have had people, you know, that would have been involved in things like the strikes for climate change in schools. Like there's a lot, like young people more so than ever being involved in politics and, you know, social issues. So like for people that are involved in sports and for people that are involved in social issues and stuff like that, how do you get involved in the Quirkus programme? How do you apply for that?
10: So it's an online application form. Um, We're just about to go live for for this year. Um, It's quite extensive, as you can imagine. Because the scholarship is so valuable, it does take a little bit of time to fill out the application form. It'll ask you about your, you know, your previous achievements. But I suppose much more importantly, it's about your goals and your plans. I mean, the, the Quercus programme is not a reward for past achievements. It's a recognition of past achievements. It's about the future. It's about what you plan to do and how, as a university, we can support you. Um, so I'm glad you brought up the, the, the subject of, of student activism because... We have some incredible um, student, active citizen scholars this year. In fact, we were the only university, uh, the only Irish university to sell a, send a delegation to Glasgow to the COP. Um, and I'm really proud that one of my Quercus scholars was part of the UCC delegation. At the previous COP, she was, the, she was one of the UN youth delegates there as well. So we're, we're supporting her as a Quercus scholar. She's a second year law student, um, Alicia O'Sullivan from Skibbereen. Incredibly passionate young woman. She's actually featured quite regularly on the Nine O'Clock News All the time while taking her law lectures online in the evening, uh, submitting her assignments and her assessments. So these young people are never not busy. They are always either playing their music, um, involved in their business, uh, participating in their sport while getting their assignments in, getting their assessments in, um, taking their exams. I will have one amazing young woman who will be taking most of her Christmas exams in South Africa in December because she's captain of the Irish under-21 women's hockey team and they um, recently uh, were invited to the Junior World Cup. But this all happens while her Christmas exams are happening in UCC so she'll be sitting those remotely at the same time as her classmates in UCC under the same conditions with externally uh, approved invigilators. So that's one of the benefits of the scholarship. I get to try and advocate for these students in terms of some academic flexibility. Some students will split their year. So um, they will take one of their academic years over two years to facilitate their their training or their competition or their performance needs yeah so they're they're incredible they're incredible young people it's a privilege
0: on kind of a a typical day i guess Mm -hmm. you know what sort of problems would students come to you about and i guess what would you do kind of to support them what sort of issues are they facing and you know how many people are there in the whole corcus program that are supporting all the students as well
10: So there's two of us, there's myself and Elaine. um, And we normally would have a cohort of about 60 Quercus scholars because when you get the scholarship, it rolls over with you. So even though every year we we take on around 20, uh, we normally have, uh, have have a group of about 60 scholars at any one time. Things like timetable clashes would be a frequent request. You know, not being in the country for blocks of time during when labs need to be done or assignments need to be handed in or exams need to be sat would be a very regular one. We also then would provide Corker Scholars with life coaching. Um, there's specific online workshops. Um, there's a lecture series. They get financial support. We provide accommodation for those students who are from outside of Cork. I could get four or five calls in the day from students and you never know what, what the issue might be. Sometimes it's around, um, you know, worries or stresses or, or burnout. And, um, you know, we, we do our very best to support them. And, I, I suppose the proof is in the pudding they're they're graduating and they're still participating and not only just participating but succeeding and excelling in the in the areas that they're passionate about.
0: It's just absolutely phenomenal to see that with young people that they're excelling and that you know that you're there to support them as well that's it's absolutely brilliant because like you know i I think that a lot of people would have to choose between either mm-hmm. sports or college and their degree and stuff like that you know people would have to make that sacrifice but like it's brilliant that that program is run and michelle thank you so much for coming on to this interview it's not been absolutely all. amazing thank you
10: not at all thanks for on it
0: that wraps up this episode of radio prez thank you very much to all my co-hosts and to elaine our phenomenal sound engineer mr olinchig our teacher who helps us run this in prez and george hook who mentors us as well thank you so much for listening to the show Tune in soon to the next episode of Radio Fred.